have here the Orlando Sentinel headlines. I was noticing that, um, well, I should say, first of all, you guys, we've already talked about this before. You guys know the good news, bad news jokes, right? You see that on the paper. Uh, here's one, for instance. I don't know if I've already told you this one. Uh, the doctor comes to the patient and says, I've got good news and bad news. And the patient says, okay, give me the good news first. The doctor says, you have 24 hours to live. That's the good news? Yeah, uh, the bad news is I've been trying to get a hold of you since yesterday. <laughs> right? Or, or when the doctor comes and says, I've got good news. They've named a disease after you. That's not good. Good news and bad news. The Orlando Sentinel here, you can see it right here in big print. Many jobs, good news, little pay, bad news. You can see terror fears won't keep Brits away. Good news, but the reason this article is here is because of this huge foiled plot that reminds us that there's a whole group of people trying to kill us whenever they can. Not so good news. Israel grabs ground ahead of ceasefire. Good news that there's this ceasefire you know, being considered, but pretty much nobody thinks that this is going if, if to, it, if it happens, is it going to last? Good news, bad news. Here's one. Is crime crackdown the answer in Orlando? Jacksonville's fight against its murder wave may be a model for Orlando. Good news. But the reason we need the good news is because Orlando's had its highest murder rate ever. We've already, I think we've already topped what we've done in all of the rest of the years previous to this. In other words, in August, we've, we've maxed out our allotment, if you will. Okay, good news and bad news. Oh, here's one. <laughs> this was a good uh, week for the future of the human race. After scientists at Germany's Max Planck Institute for Molecular Genetics announced the invention of the first pill to combat stupidity. The drug has been shown to improve the attentiveness and short-term memory of fruit flies and mice. So that's good news, unless you get a call and says, we want you to be in the case study. <laughs> good news. Do you think the world's ready for some good news about now? What if, what if you knew without question that someday our enemy would be vanquished, would be absolutely conquered, that we could live without fear. Now you're thinking, well, Al-Qaeda? Well, if that was the case, wouldn't that be good news? To, to be able to say to someone, I know a day very shortly when that won't be a problem, when it, you won't have to live in fear. What if you knew for certain that there was a way for your friends and your neighbors to live forever? That'd be pretty good news. So they would never have to fear death so that they could look forward to living forever in a beautiful place with wonderful people. The place so beautiful that they have so much gold, they just pave the streets with it. Would you want to share that good news? See, we come today to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And Paul is, well, he's reminiscing with the Thessalonians. Uh, look at verse 2. Start at verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And he goes into reminiscing mode. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And Paul basically says, look, I know you guys are saved. 
he's writing to the Thessalonians. He says, the reason I know that you're saved, I'm going to explain here in verses 6 through 10. He says, I see all the markings of someone who is chosen, elected by God. So now look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Paul says, one of the reasons that I know that this is real for you Thessalonians is the, the whole scene that happened when we first came. It says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And he says, and you also know what kind of men we were for you, like among you for your sake. But first notice this word. Gospel. Oh yeah, good news. It's the word... I don't know if I can say it correctly. Uegelion. It's easier to say the English version, which is evangelism. That's where we get the word evangelism. Gospel. This gospel is good news. Do you guys remember that the gospel actually is good news? If, if I were to announce to you today that we were going to adjourn right now, and we were going to go across the street and knock on doors and share the gospel, would that be good news? Hopefully for some... But some, if you're honest, you'd be like, ooh, I don't know if that would be good news for me or not. I'd be scared to death. And there might be some that are like, well, no, it's not good news because I was planning to take my nap during the service here. If you've ever been door-to-door evangelizing, you know that a lot of prayer happens. Right? You knock on the door, Lord, I pray that nobody's there. Why, why are we so averse to sharing this really good news? Is it because we want to keep it to ourselves? Hey, I get to go to heaven and you don't. No. That's not us. That's not in our heart. I don't, I don't think so. Is it because we're afraid of how people will react? Yeah, maybe. But I think the real, the main reason is a lack of experience and therefore a lack of success. When you get good at something, you like to do it. See, I had the amazing privilege of leading someone into the kingdom of God last Sunday. And I can tell you, there's nothing like it. It's cool. Sharing the good news and having someone respond to it, that's cool. See, and I've actually had this conversation with a couple of people this week. I was, I was compared to... Last Sunday, an uh, encyclopedia salesman. I was tenacious, a bulldog. If you, if you knew me, actually even if you know me now, but especially if you knew me back then, that doesn't describe me. That's not me. I'm not like when, when I was trying to sell, you know, sour balls for a band, I would make my brother go and do the work for me because it's like I cannot talk to people. That, that's not going to happen. But it all depends on what you're selling, right? I mean, the gospel is just giving away really good news, this amazing opportunity. See, I believe that that God wants every Christian in this room, everyone, every Christian in this room, to experience that joy that happens when you're used by him to bring someone into the kingdom. To to bring a friend in to this thing called eternal life. In verse 5, we see three essential ingredients to a successful presentation of the gospel, if you will. Like if one of the reasons that you haven't shared the gospel is because you haven't had any success, maybe verse 5 will help. Three essential ingredients to the gospel 
I don't know why this word kept coming to me today, or this week, I apologize, but three ingredients in your gospel gumbo. (laughs) Right? Three ingredients that need to be, that will assure you success in this gospel thing. Notice, you're going to notice that these three things aren't a PowerPoint presentation. They're not even eloquence. It's not even having scripture memorized, although that helps. These three ingredients, let's see if we can find them. I'll give you a hint. Look for the word holy. Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see the word holy there? That gives you a real good clue on the first ingredient, the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to see three holies that are needed for the gospel to really take effect. The first one, the central one, notice that the Holy Spirit there is central in that verse. It needs to be central in your gospel presentation. The Holy Spirit. The other two we're going to see are the Holy Scripture and Holy servants. And we'll explain as we go. Notice in the center of this verse, the Holy Spirit. It starts, the centerpiece of the gospel is the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, that's how it started in Acts, right? You guys remember, if you were with us way back when we started the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was the key verse that explained the whole book. You remember what it was? Acts 1 verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That was the outline for the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes and comes in power, and all of a sudden these guys are scattering, spreading the word. And it's easy. They're not like scared to knock on doors. And this is crazy. This is exactly how it started in Thessalonica. Look down at verse 8. Well, that's interesting. For from you, the, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Does that sound familiar? Acts 1.8 says the Holy Spirit comes and you're going to be witnesses to... Hey, uh, can, you, can you put up the thing for me? You're going to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to like a, a small band of people right there. And then it grows out to Judea and then out to Samaria. And then he says, all out the whole world, right? That was, that was Paul's journeys. That's how it happened. But look at this. That was Acts 1.8. Now, this is First Thessalonians 1.8. Paul says, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Thessalonica, where you are, but also Macedonia. Oh, look at that. And Achaia. And he says, but also in every place. Acts 1.8 says, look, it happens, can happen in Jerusalem. First Thessalonians 1, 8 says, look, it can happen in Thessalonica. You guys remember the, the book of Acts is an unfinished book. It could happen here. First Calvary Chapel of the Lakes 1, verse 8. The idea that the Holy Spirit wants to come and give us power. He wants to change us. He wants to make us used by Him. And he wants to impact not just the YMCA, not just the Golden Triangle, but eventually Lake County, Florida, the world. For all we know, we may have more numbers here than they had in that that room in Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 1. See, 
The Holy Spirit is looking for a base of operations. He's looking for a base of operations to impact the world. Let me, let me make it even more personal. He's look, looking for a base of operations to impact your world. Has he found it in you? Will you say yes to him? See, without question then, the Holy Spirit is the starting point of evangelism. Matter of fact, to make my point, uh, maybe I shouldn't have you raise your hand. Um, hopefully, you've got someone in your head that you're praying for. Somebody that you're like, man, I really want to share the gospel with them. I haven't figured out how to do it. Or maybe I have shared with them, but they haven't come to know him yet. If, there's, if you can think of someone like that, you know who gave you that idea? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one who put that idea in your head in the first place. And the Holy Spirit will be the one to continue to move you in that direction and will also prepare the person who's going to hear your gospel. So the first ingredient in your gospel gumbo is a person, the Holy Spirit. He must be central in this. Now, from here on out, to get the other two words, we need to learn a Greek word. You guys ready for a Greek lesson? The word is genomai. G-I-N-O-M-A-I. It means to become, to come into existence. We find the word, that Greek word, twice in verse 5, although it's different, different in English, two different words in English, but it's the same word in, in the Greek. Ready? Verse 5, for our gospel did not genomai, did not come to you. So it actually would probably be read, be read more correctly, did not become to you the word only, but also it became to you power. And in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, the word became these things to you. As, and he says, uh, as you know what kind of men we were, there's the other genomai. We became among you for your sake. So, two other ingredients. The Holy Spirit is central. He's the one who's doing the whole thing. But one of the things he does is he works through the Holy Scriptures. And what I mean is, you're going to have to hear me out because I don't want you to misunderstand. But the Holy Spirit works by making the Scriptures holy. What? The scriptures are already holy, right? We agree on that. But here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I knew from the get-go that you guys were chosen of God because I saw the Holy Spirit, Holy scriptures were becoming holy to you. Do you get it? He says, becoming holy. In other words, the Holy, the holy scriptures, when you opened your book, Paul says, I could tell that to you the Bible wasn't just another book. It was holy. It was different. It was set apart, not just words. Look at verse 5 again. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also it became to you so much more. It became to you power. And it came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it gave you much assurance. Not just words, but almost like the physical presence of the Holy Spirit. And much assurance. The assurance that you've heard from God. You guys know only the Holy Spirit can do that. I hope you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> By experience. I mean, I hope. And, and I've been encouraged because there have been people who have come and said, I sense the presence of God here. And I sense the presence of God when the word is spoken. That is exactly what should be happening every week. That God is speaking to you through his word by the Holy Spirit making the scriptures holy to you. Making them set apart. You go, wow. I didn't even see that it said that, but now it, I get it. The, God is speaking to me. 
See, when you come to church and you hear the word of God taught and it connects with you, when it's like the God of the universe just read your mind or he read your mail, that's the Holy Spirit making the Holy Scriptures holy to you, set apart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Some of you guys know this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. See, what's happening, what should be happening today is the Spirit is speaking. And it's spiritually discerned. It's like you've got to have the right antenna. Only the Holy Spirit can make the Scriptures holy to you. Matter of fact, you could make a corollary. Only the Holy Spirit can make the Scriptures holy to you. Through you. Like when you share the gospel. This is true of the gospel that's on your lap. But it's also true of the gospel that's on your lips. If you're scared to share the gospel. Because. Well I don't know what I'll say. Jesus was very clear. You don't have to worry about that. He says just open your mouth. And the Holy Spirit will give you the words. It's not your job to devise the perfect gospel plan. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do it through you. All you've got to do, once again, we learn this. This is the way the Holy Spirit works. He says, I want to do this. And you say, okay. you just got to let him do what he wants to do. When you do, and then you see that person go, well, you see the light bulb go off, right? You're like, I think I get it. That's when, that's when you have that feeling like the fisher of men. It's like, I got this one hooked. Because they get it now, right? Then it's just a matter of time that verse 5 begins to play out. So, the Holy Spirit targets a person. He prompts you. He gives you the words. He gives them understanding. The Holy Spirit's pretty central in this. So, two, two out of the three ingredients are the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures becoming holy to that person. And here's the third one. Holy servants. Holy servants, because look at the end of verse five, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Three ingredients for successful evangelism, and I hope you want to get hooked on evangelism. Three ingredients, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures and holy servants. I think I already told you. This last Sunday, I was able to bring, help bring someone into the, the family of God. And I can tell you that I can see all three of those ingredients working on that person. <laughs> the, all three ingredients of the gospel gumbo were what this person finally swallowed. The Holy Spirit began by putting this person on the heart of another person. The Holy Spirit then wooed this person to church... Through an odd coincidence. This person began coming to church and the scriptures began to become holy, different. And the other thing was this third ingredient, holy servants, servants of God. Many of you, this person was impacted by the fact that, well, they, they say these words, they read these words and they're different than other people. They actually are different. Part of the, the third ingredient that you guys are part of is holy servants. And you, you might be saying, who, me? <laughs> holy? Well, remember, you remember what holy means? Different. 
odd, peculiar. Some of you guys are really holy. But truly, if you're thinking maybe some of you, if this holiness is really an essential ingredient in this gospel, some of you guys are going, well, then I'm out because I know I'm not holy. One thing I'm not is holy. I mean, I wish I was, but I'm not living the pure life that I know I should, so I guess I can't go out and share this gospel. Not so fast. Look at verse 5 again. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we became, genomai. What kind of men we became among you for your sake. In other words, the idea is this. Paul says, Paul and Timothy and Silas, who are writing this letter to the Thessalonians, look guys, we didn't work real hard to become holy for your sake. He says, God made us holy for your sake. Question again, probably don't want to raise your hand. Are you struggling with holiness? Are you struggling with being different from the world around you? Is it hard to be different from the world? Is it hard to be different at work? Is it hard to be different, youngsters, at school? Is it hard to be different from the world, the way the world does things at your house, in your home? Is it hard to be different from the way the world does things by yourself? Are you struggling with holiness? Let me ask a question. Are you struggling by yourself without the Holy Spirit? Did you guys know that the Holy Spirit has a very vested interest in making you holy? Right here in verse 5, Paul says, The Holy Spirit made us holy for your sake. It's for, let me speak directly to you, as best I know how, it's for the lost people around you that the Holy Spirit wants to make you holy. He wants to make you different. Now notice what I didn't say. I didn't say, you better become holy for the sake of the lost people around you. I said, he wants to make you holy. Genomai, he wants for you to become holy for the sake of your Thessalonians. For the ones that you have an impact upon. For those circle of people, that the sphere of influence that you have. He wants to do it. All you have to do is say, okay, yes, Lord. We saw it in Galatians, didn't we? Do we need a refresher in Galatians? He pretty much beat us to death with that message, right? Not to death, to life. He beat us to life with the gospel of grace. It's not working real hard to become holy so that I can finally share the gospel. No, it's saying yes to the Holy Spirit every chance I get, knowing he's making me holy for the sake of my Thessalonians. And I promise, if you say yes to the Holy Spirit every chance you get, and when you mess up, you turn around and say, I'm going to say yes to you again from here out as best I can. If you do that, I promise you, he will make you holy. He will make you odd. He will make you peculiar. He'll make you different than the world around you. Most of you can tell by looking at me, he will make you odd. 
See, when, when God breaks into a community like ours, when the gospel comes alive in a community or even in a single life, it starts with the Holy Spirit. And he makes the scriptures, the gospel, holy. He sets it apart. He says, this is different. And he backs up that gospel message by making servants holy. So how do you apply it, this whole thing to your personal gospel gumbo? Like, what if you want to share with your husband, with your wife, with your sister, with your brother? What if you want to share with your boss? What if you want to share with your neighbor? What if you want to share with a stranger at Publix? What do you do? Start by praying for the Holy Spirit to be central in the situation in your life. Ask him to work on the fish that you've got in mind because it was already his idea in the first place. But also ask him to work on the fishermen, you, to make you holy. You can say, Lord, make, this, make the servant, me, holy so that they might see the good works and glorify my Father in heaven. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said that. Let your good works so shine before men. He says, let them shine. He doesn't say work real hard. Let them shine before men and my Father will get the glory. You can say, Lord, let your words be holy, set apart to me. There's a question we're going to get to at the end. Is the, is the, are the scriptures holy to you? Are they set apart? Are they special to you? Let your words be set apart to me and then through me. All right. Well, we've covered one verse so far. Should be out of here by six or so. We can move a little bit faster now, okay? Um, Verses 6 through 10 are a result of having the gospel presented in verse 5. Verses 6 through 10 happen after the gospel comes into play. This is important to remember. We're going to see this verse 6 through 10. The Thessalonians were a persecuted church from the start, from the very beginning. From the time that Paul and Silas walked in, bow-legged, funny walking from Philippi because they'd been beaten. That was the Thessalonians' future. The Thessalonians is a letter to a persecuted church. And verses 6 through 10 now we're going to see is all about growth. Growth in the midst of persecution. You guys heard the phrase, right? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. This would probably be better said, the tough get growing. The Thessalonians were growing in the midst of Crazy persecution. Verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Interesting that word, and you became. There it is again, genomai. And you became followers. The word followers there is mimetes. It's where we get the word mimic, to imitate. Paul says, you Thessalonians, you became imitators of us. You you mimicked us. Interesting, because Paul had said in First Corinthians 4, verse 16, he says, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And in First Corinthians 11, 1, he says it probably the best, which is, guys, you follow me while I follow Christ. In other words, I'm doing my best to follow Jesus, and hopefully I'm setting a good example for you to follow as well. See, these guys learned by imitation. Just like... A baby does, right? These guys were brand new believers. 
Like newborns, they learn by imitation. They learn by imitating Paul, and Paul was imitating Christ. Here's a question for you. You guys awake? Do I need you to stand up? Don't make me make you stand up. Um, here's a question for you. Are you a leader? Okay, I'll answer it for you. <laughs> yes. You are a leader. You are leading someone. Everyone has got a flock. Everyone has got someone who is in their sphere of influence. Here's the question then. Where are you leading them? Moms, where are you leading your flock? Dads, where are you leading your flock? Bosses, where are you leading them? See, if you follow close after Jesus like Paul's doing, then you're leading them to Jesus. If you wander, then you're leading them astray. Now, these Thessalonians were playing follow the leader with Paul and Jesus. And they were doing it in a very easily identifiable way. This was easy to tell that these guys were mimicking because, look at verse 6 again. And you became followers of, of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Much affliction with joy. Yep, following the leader. That was exactly how you describe Paul. Much affliction with joy. That's exactly how Paul would describe his leader, Jesus. Much affliction with joy. Remember, Paul was the guy that had just come from Philippi, beaten in a dungeon, and he's singing at the top of his lungs at midnight, singing praises. Much affliction with joy. And, of course, Paul was just following his leader, Jesus. It's Hebrews 12 that says that Jesus was the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Much affliction. Despising the shame, but it was because for the joy that was set before him. And you guys know, you were, you are that joy. And if we, if you and I, we, we actually will play follow the leader, if we will actually follow our leader, there will be much affliction and joy. Now, how does that work? Much affliction and joy. How can those things possibly go together? Well, you find it. At the end of that verse, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's our old friend again, the Holy Spirit. He seems to be central to our discussion today. The Holy Spirit, he's the comforter, Jesus says. The Christian life is one of much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. Now you're like, well, where do I sign up? I mean, it doesn't sound all that hot to say, hey, welcome to affliction. But compare it to this. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Whether you're saved or not, you're going to have tribulation. So here's your choices. You can have affliction with no joy or affliction with joy from the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you, joy is not happiness. Right? Happiness is all about your circumstances. Well, this will make me happy. Joy is that crazy thing that can happen when... Your circumstances aren't all that great, but things are still good. I'm, st I'm still joyful inside. Talk about peculiar. That's peculiar. That's odd. That's holy. That's the gospel in you. In verse 7, we see what should be the natural progression now in every Christian's life. Look at verse 7. He says, you are followers, in verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. Verse 6, they, they became genoma, genomai, 
They became followers, mimickers, mimickers of Paul. Is that a word, mimickers? As he followed Jesus. Now in verse 7, what do they become? Genomai, they become examples, leaders. You guys know that? Leadership always starts with followership. Is that a word? Okay, I made the word up, but it's still a good phrase. Leadership always starts with followership. You guys, again, don't raise your hand. Boy, there's a lot of questions I don't want you to raise your hand on today. Anybody here have a problem with authority? With following? Don't look at each other either, by the way. Got a problem with submitting to your boss? Uh, Teenagers, young people, submitting to your parents? Wives, submitting to your husband. Wait, did I just say that? Now, don't go quitting the church, okay? Verse, or, or Thursday, we're going to talk, not, not this Thursday, but over this next few Thursdays, we're going to be talking about that whole verse about submitting. Wives, actually, as we explain it, I think you'll be much happier than when I just leave it dangling like that. Okay? The scriptures, this is another plug, I guess. The scriptures are very helpful and clear on what, how a, a uh, good marriage should work and how blessed it can be for both people, I promise. Okay? But do you have a, a problem with authority? Do you, do you look around at work or at home or at church and say, I'd be a much better leader than he is or than she is or than they are? I can tell you God is looking for leaders especially today in this day and age. He's looking for leaders, but you know where he looks? He looks among the ranks of the followers. God will not give authority to anyone who cannot live under authority. It's like the the centurion who called for Jesus and said, I'm a man under authority. I'm a man who also has people under me. I get authority. See, otherwise, if, if God were to look for leaders among people who didn't understand leadership, he'd end up with loose cannons running ships all over the place. Leaders do not magically materialize. Leaders are crafted and identified by those, are identified by God. He finds people who are learning to follow. Leadership comes after and from followership. God says, when he finds that person, he says, "There's, there's one I can... I can trust. There's one who I know can follow without a a bit in his mouth, without a whip on his back, who can follow, and I can trust him to lead. Moving on, verse 8. For from the word of the Lord has, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Acts 1, 8, parallel. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You guys can probably tell. I almost titled the message of this, the, the, the title of the message, The Acts of the Thessalonians. Because that's how similar this is to the book of Acts, this, these first verses in chapter 1. See, it starts with the Holy Spirit making the scriptures and the gospel holy and making his servants holy. And the recipients become followers, even in persecution, exhibiting the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience and hope that we saw last week. And before long, the followers become leaders. 
The imitators become the imitated and the whole process duplicates itself. And that's how God makes an impact on a community and in an area and a nation and a world. So much so that look at the end of verse 8. He says, Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. In other words, Paul says, says Thessalonians, I'm so proud of you guys. It's like everywhere we go, we, we start to share the gospel with someone. And they're like, oh, no, I already heard that. Um, these guys from Thessalonica shared that with us. They, they are, are you the guy? Are you Paul? Are you the guy that they were talking about? The guy that came in and he was all beaten and battered. And he says, the word about you has spread so much. Paul says, now, nowadays when we meet people and we go to share the gospel with them, it's like the, we're out of business. You guys have run us out of business of the gospel because you guys are sharing so much, so well, so effectively. Verse 9, for they themselves de- declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's making his servants holy and to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You guys have been pretty good. We're going to wrap it up here. Verses 9 through 10, we're going to kind of blow through. There's, it's always, almost always happens to me this way. You have to pick and choose what, what, am, what are we going to talk about because there's so much stuff. Look at verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, it continues this discussion that Paul would have with the people who had been through Thessalonica or who had been touched by Thessalonica. And in short, the best way to say it is this. The Thessalonians were legendary. These guys had a reputation. These were famous. And you know what they were famous for? Remember last week? Their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope. Those are three verbs. And look at the, there's three verbs in verse 9 and 10. These are three verbs that describe the transformation that happened to the Thessalonians first and then begin to impact the world. Look, he says, you have this reputation that you turn to God from idols. Idol worship was rampant all over the place. He says that was the first thing people noticed about you. <laughs> you would notice if you walked into town square where there's a bunch of idol worship and you burned your idols. They would notice. He says, you guys were famous. You turned to God from idols. What is that? That's a work of faith. See, verses 3 and verses 9 and 10, they go together. He says, you're famous because you turned to God from idols. And he says, you've also uh, turned to God, this living God, whom you serve. What service? It's a labor of love. We talked about that last week. And to wait. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Verse 10, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, Christian life... Is about turning to God from idols, serving, and waiting. One more thing before we go. Not before we go, but before I move on. It says turning to God from idols. How many times have you spent time going, okay, I'm going to turn away from this idol. I'm going to turn away from this idol, and then I'll be better. We've talked about this before. Don't spend your time worrying about turning away from the idol. Turn to God and you will be turning away from the idol. If you're a Christian, verses 9 and 10 should be, this is your life. Am I the only person old enough to remember this is your life? It should be a review for you. 
Right? You turned. If you're a Christian, this should describe your past and your present and your future. You turn to God from idols. You serve now, present, a living and true God, not a dead one. And now, verse 10, you wait. You wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Interesting then, we begin, we end as we began, with bad news and good news. We talked about some of it. There's bad news for everybody in the room. In this world, you will have tribulation. But there's good news for Christians. If you're a Christian, you can have joy in affliction. There's bad news. Talks about in verse 10. There is a wrath to come. There's a time when God will pour out his holy wrath upon the earth. Not just tribulation, but the tribulation. Not just bad circumstances that happen because the enemy's kind of running the ship right now, but because God will finally say, enough is enough. That's bad news. But the good news is, Paul says, we wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He will come in the clouds. He will rescue us before this wrath, this great tribulation occurs. That's good news. He shall return.